Enjoy local voices. Enjoy local opinions. All on one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast DC is the new local app with hundreds of DC area podcasts. Featuring some of the DC area's best personalities, pundits, and provocateurs. Earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts you love instantly. With new programs being added every week, don't hesitate. Download Podcast DC now for free. Available in the App Store or in Google Play. Podcast DC. Listen local. Black woman. Beautiful. Powerful. Resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation. A talk, especially an informal one, between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So... We created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Nicole. How's your week been? It has been busy. It's always busy. It's always busy. Um, This week I am doing the American Medical Association Conference. So I'm sort of juggling work and home at the same time. I felt like every time I talked to you this week, you were in the middle of a conference. I thought to myself, she's super busy. Did you do rounds this week too? Yeah, I did rounds. I mean, this week is horrible for work. I mean, I've had babies go down in the middle of clinic, <laughs> C-sections, I've had eclamptic seizures. This week has been a bad week for medicine for me, but everybody's safe. So that's good. At least I get a little bit of break because I'm at the AMA conference technically. And that means I don't have to go to work tomorrow and Tuesday. So I get a little bit of a break, but I needed that break because emotionally I'm just like, I'm drained. I'm super drained emotionally. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. This will be the week I retire because <laughs> of the bad outcomes. But um, everybody is safe. Like I said, everybody's safe. All right, Johnny. So what did you do this week? I know that I've been telling you that outside is open. So this week, I literally got about 15 emails from promoters about shows that they're having all like tomorrow. And I was getting like one show after the other after the other. And finally, I was like, hey, pump the brakes a little. I mean, I get that outside is open, but every show does not have to happen right this moment. I promise you outside will be open longer than five minutes. I mean, I feel like I said that like 10 times this week. Everyone is in such a rush to get everything started back and get back to normal that they're not really considering the fact that we'll be outside for a while. Don't worry. Everything doesn't happen have to happen right now. Well, you are fully vaccinated, so that's exciting. It's exciting because things are open and flourishing and people are feeling more comfortable being outside. But by people, I mean everybody 
but not Janine. Because while I'm really excited to be back outside and I'm not wasting my vaccination, I still just don't feel comfortable in large crowds. And, you know, those stand-up venues that are kind of small where it's like pit style, I still want to have my seat and I still want my seat to be six feet away from yours, at least until I feel more comfortable and I still feel like I want to wear a mask. But look, my thing is, if you feel comfortable and you're vaccinated, then have fun. Go to all the shows that you want. Janine just won't be there. She needs a couple more months to get settled and feel comfortable and feel like, you know, more people are vaccinated. And then I think that I'll be ready to go to concerts again, but not quite yet. Well, I will say this. I think that people are like, ooh, the government is giving us a chance to like get out there. Let's get out there because these people are being idiots and people don't want to get vaccinated and the infection rate is going to start going up because stuff is up and then we're going to get shut down. So I know you're like, oh, outside is not going to just be open for five minutes. But realistically, if people don't get vaccinated and these cases go up, outside will be open for 10 and then they're going to shut everything down. I'm just saying. Here's the thing. I don't want to test the efficacy of my vaccination. That's it. That's just all it is. I appreciate the vaccine and the ability to get vaccinated. And I'm not going to waste it sitting in the house. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I'm still going to be careful because some of these people are out here faking like they get the vaccine. And I'm not sure why. Well, you know that um, at Methodist out here, they have a lawsuit on their hands because what they think if they fired a hundred and I think it's 148 or 168 nursing staff because they refuse to get vaccinated. And I think they thought they were playing, but Methodist said, <laughs> bye. bye. <laughs> so um, they are um, suing and they can mandate vaccines because it's not like they're the federal government. It's not like Correct. They're like, yeah, this is this is this is privatized over here. So you don't have to you can do what you want, but we can do what we want, too. So I think that there's going to be a problem whenever businesses and companies start saying, hey, you have to be vaccinated to come in here. It's going to cause some uproar. And it already has. I'm not really a fan of any of this. I don't think that people should be forced to get a vaccine. I feel like it should be people's personal choice. But for me, I kind of err on the side of caution because realistically, if it's not going to harm me and it's going to help us get back to some sense of normalcy, then why not? But again, like I said, I'm not here to tell people what they should and shouldn't do. Um, You know, we've preached about the vaccine a lot. I feel like we've talked about it. And for me and my little COVID bubble, Everybody is vaccinated. But again, Janine is also going to stay in her little COVID bubble until everybody's finished spreading their unvaccinated germs around. And then when everybody's finished spreading their unvaccinated germs around, that's when Janine will come out. Well, it almost feels like when you say, hey, you have to show your vaccine card to get into certain places. Are those walking papers now? Yes. I mean, I feel As they like, should be, though. But really? Yes. I, I just don't. I don't believe in that. Like. Don't have me show my papers. Like, just say people have to wear a mask or they don't have to wear. But your walking papers, though? I I don't know. I just feel some kind of way about that. Like, those are freedom papers. I don't know. They are freedom papers. I don't see what the problem is. The vaccine is free. It's not like they're asking us to pay for the freedom papers. And it's not like a certain subset of the culture has to do something different for the freedom papers. They're free to everyone. The vaccines are free to everyone and everyone has access to the same three vaccines. So I don't really think I have a problem with them being freedom papers. I mean, for goodness sakes, we had to go get vaccinated before we were allowed to enroll in school. So I don't I don't see what the problem is. 
Yeah, but we didn't have to show our vaccine card every time we went to the club. I'm just saying, like, it's it's a little extreme when you're like, oh, I want to go to this game. Here's my freedom papers to get in this little section right here. I don't know. I just don't like it. Because my thing is, people should still just wear a mask. Like, if you're going to have um, a populous area, you should probably just require a mask because the vaccine's not 100%. Yeah, but Nicole, we couldn't get these crazy people to wear a mask when there was no vaccine and they were out here dropping like flies. So what makes you think that now that there's a vaccine, we can get these people to wear a mask? I don't know. I I get what you're saying, that people should be vaccinated to go into certain places. But something about the paper, something about it's a mental thing, something about showing your freedom papers. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't know. Maybe it can be a button we wear. I don't know. I just, I do have a like, I'm vaccinated button. I mean, maybe that can be the, the stamp. I just don't agree with pulling them off. I don't know. I get it. It's a little strange, but I, I guess it's our new normal. I saw when I was flying to your house, this older couple and they had on matching shirts. They had on masks. Let me say that. But they had on matching shirts that said, we're fully vaccinated. Please leave us alone. That is so funny. I don't know. Maybe something like that. I don't know. But I just I don't like the, the concept of showing the card. OK, let me ask you this, though. Do you want people to show freedom papers to come into our country from other countries? Or do you feel like they shouldn't have to have freedom papers either? Different different. Of- yes. Why? Why is that different? Because you got something over there that we may not be vaccinated for over here. That's a difference. And I don't mind showing that to get on a flight. Okay. If I'm traveling from one area of even the country to another, I don't I don't mind that. But it's like the everyday, like going to the grocery store. I mean, it's going to become extreme. I mean, okay. that's the thing I'm like, every time I pass somebody, you scan my forehead and I'm showing my free. I, I don't know. I just seems like some like I am legend type stuff to me. It's yeah. I think that they should just switch the app that they had for COVID tracing and just switch it to vaccination. So if you're vaccinated, you have, you know, a certain notification. And if you're not vaccinated, you have a different notification. I think that that would probably be the easiest. And then that way we don't have to have freedom papers. Yeah, create that app. Go and create that app, Johnny. Get us a little change. Um, If there's an app developer out there that'd like to bring my idea to life, feel free to contact us at oh, that's deep BWC at gmail.com. Hey, listen, I'm all about making some change. Anyway. Hello. So, Johnny, what's on your timeline this week? Okay, so, you know, Father's Day is right around the corner. And this is the one day each year that we designate to honor fathers, fatherhood, and the parental bonds that we create throughout our lifetime. We often joke that we don't celebrate fathers the same way that we celebrate our mothers, But this has actually proven to be true. We often spoil our moms and shower them with lavish gifts on Mother's Day, while dads get socks and cards that kind of are like backhanded compliments almost. If you ever read a Father's Day card, it almost feels like a self-help pamphlet for how to be a great father. It's kind of strange. Um, But yeah, so I believe that Father's do actually deserve the same love and reverence that we give our mothers. But I'm also very cognizant of the fact that for some people, it's a struggle to celebrate Father's Day. Separation, infertility, divorce, incarceration, addiction, and even death make this an arduous time of year for some of those who find themselves fatherless. One of the things that I've found interesting is retailers have become increasingly aware of this fact as well. 
Recently, many retailers are giving customers the opportunity to opt out of Father's Day emails and other notifications that could potentially be triggering for them. The concept seems to have started a few years ago with the florist, but now it seems hundreds of retailers have followed suit. Many customers like myself appreciate the option to opt out of these kinds of emails, but some say that it's just another clever marketing ploy. Some even say that the opt-out emails themselves are just as triggering as the marketing emails would have been. I've received opt-out emails from two retailers, first Tiffany's, and then the second one I received actually came from Etsy, and I felt like they were pretty thoughtful. As a marketer, I appreciate the effort that these companies are putting forth to respect every facet of their customers' lives, not just the fact that they could purchase something from them. I feel like these steps that these companies are taking to mitigate the potential risk of triggering grief in their customers, I think it's admirable, to be very honest with you. What do you think, Nicole? As someone that lost her father at age 10, I I understand that Father's Day can be hard, right? It's hard for me because it makes me think back to when my father was here and it makes me think about all the years I've had without him here. But it also is a great time for me as a mother to help my child celebrate his father and for me to acknowledge my husband. And I think that people are not going to like that I say this. I just feel like people are just too sensitive now. Like everything is a trigger warning, right? So somebody sent me something that someone in um, the AMA said they didn't agree with some health equity stuff that was going on, right? And it was obvious to me that the guy was racist, right? Mm-hmm. But people are like, before you read this, this might be triggering. I'm like, that's not triggering. Like, we as Black people have dealt with racism all of our lives. And if you this is the first time you've ever dealt with racism, then here's a taste. Like, this is the real world. So for me, it's like anytime somebody says something that you don't agree with or Anytime something could provoke emotions, it's a trigger warning now. I'm like, yo, we have got to reel our emotions in. It is not necessarily a trigger warning. I mean, it sometimes it's good if you are fatherless because of a disjointed relationship for you to get that little trigger warning. Like maybe that's the reminder you need to go ahead and reconcile with your father. Um, So I don't think that everything should be like an opt out. Like if I don't like things, if it's not fitting in my perfect bubble, then I should opt out. If I lost my mom, then I don't want to hear anything about Mother's Day. If I lost my father, I don't want to hear anything about Father's Day. That's just, to me, that's not realistic. Mm -hmm. You should not be able to opt out on certain parts of your life just because it, it, it reels up pain. To me, it means you need to deal with your emotions go through some counseling to deal with your pain so that you can function in everyday society because guess what everybody else is celebrating father's day i know that i lost my father but that doesn't negate the fact that it should be a father's day and other people should deserve to 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 celebrate it i don't know i just that's my opinion i know some of the listeners are going to come for me i agree with you partly nicole i agree that we are super sensitive about a lot of stuff and Opting out of certain parts of life are just not very realistic. Here's the thing. Email marketing and push notifications, they're not really necessary. I get it. It's a way for retailers to communicate with you, but they're not really necessary. And to be very honest with you, sometimes they can be a bit intrusive. I think that it's smart for retailers to allow customers to customize what kind of notifications they receive. I think it makes sense, to be very honest. But also, having been estranged from my father in the past... 
I kind of do see the other side as well. So I don't know. I'm torn. I often say on this podcast, I live in my hypocrisy. So I guess for this episode, here it is, because while I don't think that people should be forced to get notifications that they don't want. And I think that notifications should be 100% customizable. At the same time, I do realize that sometimes we can be in a headspace where we're just kind of avoiding our emotions. And sometimes we do need the little nudge to deal with them. So I don't know. I think I'm torn on this one. I do agree with that. But let me tell you something. I I opt out of all emails. So, you know, that promotion (laughs) tab, that promotion tab that all your emails go to. Yeah, I'm that person that will just delete them. I don't open them. And let's just say so Bed Bath & Beyond has that 20% off coupon that comes every week. Now, that one, I'll get that one. And I get that one on my phone and I download it. Who else? Hobby Lobby has has a 40% off coupon. I mean, if you're not the stores that I frequent, I'm not opening you. And realistically, I'm only going to search for it when I'm about to go in the store. Okay. That makes sense. So yeah, I, I don't open any of those emails. It's a whole different tab for me. I don't even see them. I just love those emails. Maybe it's because I'm nosy or fascinated. Who knows? But I do opt out of things that don't affect me in the present moment. That's it. I get it. I mean, Father's Day and, and, and across the board, Father's Day can be the toughest holiday, right? Moms, like you're born with a mom. Like your mom is the person that's going to basically bear the brunt of the childbearing, regardless if there's a father in the home or not. And it's also usually not all the time, but usually the person that is um, the stable person there, right? So if the parents split, most of the time, their children go with the mother. And so the mother does have a lot more of the responsibility. So I, I... I get that. And not all the time, because there are some fathers that are raising kids by themselves. So I completely understand and respect that. But if we're talking about in general, in general, the mother is the person that's sort of like that constant that's there. And Mm -hmm. then the father, you know, for me, it's like if the father is there, they're like an awesome father. Like I'm like, they they just did their job. I mean, they did the same job as the mother did. But hey, listen, I'm not going to go there. We set the bar low in society for fathers. We can be honest. I mean, we give men accolades for basic things that when a mother does them, they're just considered motherly duties. I mean, that's that's fair. Yeah. Well, I feel like we we need an expert on this. I agree. (laughs) All right. So to help us discuss this topic further, we have a very special guest with us. And that's Miss Alvion Brule. Alvion Brule is a speaker, sports agent, mentor, philanthropist, and entrepreneur who many know as an athlete's advocate. She is not only passionate about transforming athletes and their families into knowledgeable and successful superstars on and off the field, but she's also committed to relentlessly encouraging and empowering empowering the young adults and women. She is also the author of three books, Tips and Truths for Student Athletes, Dear Football Moms, A No-Nonsense Guide to College Football Recruitment and Eligibility, and her latest book, Faith for the Fatherless, 21-Day Devotional. Alvion, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you guys for having me. So you hear us talking about this, and I know that you do a lot with women and moms and helping them raise strong athletes. So do you have a lot of clients or experience with 
um, athletes that are fatherless? Um, absolutely. Um, according to the NCAA, about 70% of student athletes that play Division One football are fatherless. So when you start wow. talking about um, athletes in general, the majority grew up without fathers. Really, 90% of the players, more or less, probably 95 if I'm being honest, are fatherless. My clients um, grew up without dads. Uh, student athletes that I used to mentor when I was in the mentoring phase of this grew up fatherless. And so that was one of the biggest connections and, you know, areas uh, that I could relate to with them was that that was our commonality, that we were fatherless. So I understood that pain that most athletes experience. And so it used to be funny because coaches would be like, how do you get him to listen? You know, I don't understand. I coach him every day. And it's like, you come and it's just because I was able to kind of tap on those wounds and try to, you know, help those wounds heal because a lot of times when you're seeing athletes or even kids in general act out it's so weird it's like for me it's been about 90 percent you know rooted from fatherless issues or daddy issues you know um even the woman dr lawson who which is one of my really good friends who forwarded my book and who did the clinical impressions in the book um she talked about it from as a therapist that majority even of her adult that come in, a lot of their issues stem from fathers. And so when you start looking at statistics, about 56% of African-American children grow up fatherless. So, you know, this is really, um, it's a, it's, it's serious. You know, we don't talk about it a lot. It's one of those taboo things, just kind of like in the African-American uh, community where we, you know, we didn't talk about mental health and now we're kind of coming around that corner. I think fatherless is the next thing that we as a, you know, nation really need to talk about. Because again, when you start looking at the consequences of growing up fatherless, it's it's intense. So you said that uh, 90% of your student athletes that you see are fatherless. Or do they look like us? Are they black and brown? Or oh, let me say that this? too. Yeah, not only are they fatherless, they're African-Americans. Yeah. So when I'm referring to that, it's, it's us. It's black and brown people. That's a shame. Alvion, can you clarify to our listeners what fatherlessness is? Because I think that oftentimes when people think of fatherlessness, they think of someone who's lost a father. But can you explain explain to our listeners the, the different ways that people can become fatherless. And I used to think that too, right? It's very, very erroneous that, you know, if a person, you know, um, grew up, you know, my dad was incarcerated. So I grew up fatherless as a result of him being, you know, incarcerated. You have some individuals that feel that they are fatherless as well or deemed fatherless that have fathers in the home, but they're absent, meaning they're busy in work. They don't really get to see them. Um, they don't have a relationship with them. Um, so you also have people that are fatherless through separation, through divorce. Um, you have individuals that are, you know, fatherless because, you know, a woman decided to have a one night stand and the guy wants absolutely nothing to do with that child. And so, you know, there are so many uh, ways or you can be demon. Like you said, sometimes it is, you know, for, you know, from death. Uh, there's other individual. I had a student at least one time. He never even met his dad. His mom never told his father that she had, you know, conceived him. And so as a result, you know, he grew up fatherless and also very angry because, you know, as a boy, imagine not knowing who your father is, like not his name, not, not what he looks like um, as a choice of his mother. And so, again, there's just so many facets of, you know, you know, and I used to think it was crazy for people to have a dad in a home and, and feel fatherless. And it's like, what do you mean? You know, <laughs> what do you mean? And so, again, just absence, you know, um, not present. So again, through work, just busyness, um, or 
again, cost incarceration, you know, choice, abandonment, separation, divorce, all of those things. And then honestly, if I can be now, some people might come from me for this, but there's also some mothers out there who being strategic by keeping the kids away as a ploy to make the dad, you know, and it irritates me, you know, when women do that kind of stuff, because you do more damage than good to your child. And so, you know, and then now this child have to deal with all of this and now they got to get old. And and you see that honestly, sometimes that's like a lot, even in the student athlete world, because you'll have dads that want to pop up once these players become, you know, big time players. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole nother ball game, you know, in itself. And I've seen that over and over and over and over and over again as well, you know, and then they find out the dad only coming around for money. And then, you know, that, you know, it's just, the stuff I see and even I experience, I'll talk about my book. It's, it's real when you're dealing with dysfunctional men, because that's the thing, too. Some of these dads, you know, um, you know, my mom had me at 17. So my parents were very, very young. And so, um, you know, just it was one of those things. And so my dad just had, you know, made some very, very poor decisions. And so I just look at the outcome of myself and then my siblings that grew up with my dad. And it's drastically different. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, um How do you help coach these men that are fatherless? I mean, are you encouraging them to get counseling? Is it required that they get counseling to work with you? Like, how do you approach these daddy issues that people are having? So when I'm dealing with, you know, um, younger guys that are, you know, transitioning out of, you know, um, college into the NFL or even, you know, People, some people get mad at this, right? Because they're like, how can a woman mentor a boy? Or how can a woman? And I'm like, women have been doing it for decades. <laughs> so what are you talking Amen. about? You know, um, but I do encourage therapy all the time. I was, you know, I ended up having to get therapy by default. I got into a bad accident and I was, they were considering doing neck and, uh, and surgery. And so as a requirement, I didn't know this. You had to have, you had to go see a psychiatrist because this type of surgery, people would literally lose their minds. So you had to get a mental, you know, um, clearance before you would even consider the surgery. So I had to go see a therapist. As a result, I learned that that moment that I was technically, clinically severely depressed, but I was functional. Now mm-hmm. I just thought I was moody and mean, right? Just because I was busy, but every I was still moving at all cylinders. And so I tell people all the time, like depression doesn't always look sad, you know? And so that's sometimes we think like, oh, you're sad, you're this or whatever. That, that doesn't always mean like you're depressed or you have other stuff going on. But what I try to, you know, do is, you know, one, have them say it out loud, you know, that I have daddy issues or I miss my dad or whatever it is. It's like, it's okay to say that out loud because for years and I talk about this in my book I would say I didn't need my dad I didn't need my dad I'm good I don't care about him like I ain't going to his funeral I don't care you know like that was my attitude very like and I legit felt that way I legit felt okay it, it didn't hit me until my mid 20s you know until my dad like happened I happened to be by my grandparents house and my dad calls from jail and he finds out I'm there and asks for me to you know put me on the phone I get on the phone thinking it's going to be our normal little 2-3 minute conversation no big deal and he uttered these words. He said, I want you to know I keep up with you and I'm proud of you. Mm -hmm. And when he said, I am proud of you, I'm not a crier. Okay. And if I do, nobody going to see me cry. Okay. And I had to like give the phone to my grandmother and run to the bathroom. I cried so hard from the depth of my soul, you know, and it was like, why does his words impact me like this? It bothered me. It, 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 it let me know that, Hey, you got to deal with something here, you know? And so that was the eye opener for me that we can scream all day long. We don't need our fathers and we don't care, but it's a lie. You know, we were, you know, made to have a mom and a dad. There are some, you know, connections on a, you know, different levels and there's pieces like, 
for me, even growing up, well, my mom would always tell me stuff like, you're just like your father. You love like your dad. You love hard. You're just like your dad. Well, I don't know what that means. You know what I mean? I didn't have no experiences with him. So what do you mean when you tell me I love him like that? That's something only he can answer. So now you didn't got me one to talk to this person, you know, because I need answers. And, you know, and so it got to the point where it's like, all right, I got to write this man. I got to figure out, like, how do you love? What does that look like? Why do you love the way you love? You know, because I need to understand parts of me, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's the danger in this piece is because we, you know, sometimes are very similar or have some, you know, nuances of our parents inside of us. And, you know, if it's from your father, he's the only person that can answer that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, to circle back to your question, it's just more or less like I try to when I'm talking to people, listen to their pain points or see if they're even aware of what their pain points are. And then based off of that, give whatever advice, you know, through my experience. So that's kind of like how I tackle that. People, you know, ask me all the time, like, you know, how did you feel growing up without a father? I'm like, my dad was there. You know, like I had a really good relationship with my dad before he passed away. And I I understand. I think when your father dies, it's different, especially if you've had a relationship with them before, because it's, it's, it's not like you're angry because he's not there and he abandoned you like you realize he didn't choose to die. I mean, it was not right. his fault he got into an accident, but it is still like a pain there because you like realize that your father has missed so much of your life and there's things you've done that you need approval from yep. your father for that you can't get because they're not there. Um, but for me, I'm comforted because I know the things, like I knew my father, so I knew what would make him proud and what he would be like, what are you doing, girl? So, right. you know, and even when I do it, I'm like, my dad will be rolling over his grave right now if you saw <laughs> what I was doing right now um but some people don't have that right some right. people don't even remember their their dads you know so they right. their dads pass away and they don't know they don't have that comfort because they don't they don't remember my brother dad was killed when he was two and I watched his pain it's different but he has like an anger because he feels like someone stole something from me yeah you know so I think people even handle that differently you know it, it's just we're all different I think that's a really important point to make. We are all different, but we did all find ourselves in the same place. Alvion, you mentioned that your father was not in your home because he was incarcerated. So you ended up fatherless because of incarceration. And Nicole, unfortunately, your father passed away when you were young. So you ended up fatherless because of death. And I had my father, but my father struggled with addiction. So I ended up fatherless because of addiction, but we all ended up in this fatherless space. It's funny because before we decided to do this episode, Nicole asked me, Hey, Janine, do you want to do this topic? Because you grew up with your father in the house. And I kind of had to chuckle because I was like, well, I didn't really, because Nicole knows me and my relationship with my father as an adult. But that's something that I had to learn. You know, I didn't know anything about my father when I was young. I only knew the man that struggled with addiction. So my view of my father was very different than who he really is. A person that struggles with addiction is not the same person as the loving, caring father that I now have in adulthood. So it took some time. It took some healing and unlearning and relearning and understanding before I could really get to know and form a relationship with my father. So yeah, you know, we all end up fatherless, but not all in the same way. You're a prime example of what I mean by having a dad that, you know, in the home, but not active or not present. And so you grow up fatherless. And mm -hmm. so some people, you know, 
feel some kind of way about that. So it's like, no, you grew up with your dad. And it's like, it's, I'm, you know, I'm, it's still the same thing. I understand because again, it's, it's pieces of him that I'm not getting. It's like you say, I don't know what it looks like, you know, for what a dad or a man is supposed to do. So for me growing up, I had my grandfather and then he decided to leave and move to another state at five and I hated wow. him for that. And so I had to pick from like, all, and then, you know, it's funny, all my friends that I had, all of them had dads. And so, and I talk about that in my book. And so like, I would have to pick like, okay, her, her dad, he took care of her car. So, okay, a man's supposed to take care of car. Check, check, check. You know, like, oh, her dad, he did. You know, I like this. But for me, I my mom was really, really awesome with me with this. And I thank God for her perspective and how she kind of laid this fatherless thing out. Because I think she helped, you know, kind of, you know, guide my lenses and my perspective. And so I would always, she was like, you got to look at it as a positive, right? Like, you know, God put you in this place and he knew that you was equipped for this. And, you know, like, it's a positive. So, like, I was able, and the blessing for me was like, I was able to pick all the good stuff out of people, dad, and determine like, that's what I wanted. You know, I didn't have to take the bad stuff, you know? And so that's kind of like what I would do because I had to, you know, what does a husband look like? What does a, you know, what does it look like for a man to, you know, what's his role in the household? What, you know, and so that, you know, what I had to do. So Albion, so the the book, right? Faith of the Father is 21 day devotional. Talk to us about what the book is like, right? And the why, why people need Ooh. to get the book. This book was so hard for me to write, y'all, because I am such a private person, like extremely private. But I literally took 21 days and decided to take about 18, like, personal, actual situations that I encountered with my father, how it impacted me and how I overcame it. You know, how I tackle my triggers. How do you deal with it? Because the biggest thing that I try to get people to understand in this book and when I talk to them is that this pain of being fatherless, it never goes away. It ne- I call it the thorn in my side. It's that one pain point that never goes away. You have your good days, you have your bad days, but it never, ever goes away. And so you have to know as an adult that, hey, this feeling, this void, you know, will always be there. And you have to figure out how to feel it. You have to figure out how to deal with it when it, you know, it arises. And you have to be aware of it. Otherwise, it will trample on other relationships. And so... You know, that was my biggest thing. Like even growing up, I didn't realize how much, you know, men couldn't tell me anything until I got older. It was like, okay, I have, you know, authority issues with men because I would tell everybody, you ain't my daddy. Like, don't tell me nothing. You're not my daddy. Like, what are you telling me something for? Are you, are you nuts? You know, but it also mm-hmm. was a defense mechanism because I would kind of like put men in their place easy because I really wasn't letting them in. But it also protected me for so long that when I finally forgave my daddy, I didn't even know how to operate with men anymore because I felt vulnerable. I didn't know what it was to be vulnerable. I didn't know what it was to you know, live, you know, with a free heart. It was like, this was awkward, Jesus. You got to come fix this. I don't like this feeling. It's weird. And I don't feel safe, you know? And so even in dating, like I used to hate it because it was like, you know, my brother was younger than me. So, you know, it was like, until he got big enough to where I feel like I'm gonna call my brother. I, it was weird. So I had a very dominant, like very, very like strong personality with men. Like don't play with me because, you know, it was like, I don't want you to think you can play with me. Like I'm tough, you know? And so I would overcompensate, you know, out of fear because I didn't want them to feel like, well, she don't have no daddy to come and check me if I do or something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it was one of those like, you know, and so it's like, well, your personality is too strong. And it's like, no, you're not gonna play with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. So I had to like 
understand that like it's okay to be vulnerable and protect yourself and I talk about like how to do that how I did it how I was able to be vulnerable but also understand boundaries and 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 why you need them and that it's okay to have them and you know being okay not being ashamed of your scars like and I talk about that in the book like listen yes I'm fatherless yes I have triggers yes I have abandonment issues I'm not ashamed about it you know I, I talk about it in my book where I was dating this guy one time and we were headed out the country he kept making this joke about when I get I'm gonna leave you. Well, I don't find that funny. You know, that was one of my triggers. You know, it's like, listen, like, I already have an issue with men leaving me, you know, through my dad. So, like, for me, that's a like deal breaker. That's not funny to me. So, don't play with me like that. But I was able to articulate that to him. He was able to understand. Then we were able to laugh about it. Then we could play like that. You know what I mean? Because it was like, okay, I know you don't really mean it. This, you're playing. But listen, this is a trigger for me. We got a clear understanding, right? Yep, we got it. All right, now we can laugh and joke about that. You know, and so just being self-aware kind of, again, helps your relationships because that for me could have went really, really left because, you know, it's like, yo, you're talking about leaving me when not only did my dad leave, but then my grandfather left. So it's like, would you really do such a thing? You know, because obviously that's a man thing. Y'all get up and leave us women. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. Out here, you know, so it's like, you know, are you serious right now? And so it's just, you know, one of those things where that's what the book is, is for. It's to give people courage to know that you can heal and you can be vulnerable and you can also because my daddy actually got out of jail after 18 years and I talk about what that experience was like it was heartbreaking you know all over again you know false expectations and so I talk about more or less from my perspective is like listen going back and you know trying to reconcile may not work out for you you know and then for others you know in your case it may work out you know your dad may overcome his you know obstacles and it's a beautiful adulthood but for me I may never get that my daddy was out of jail for six months and he's right back in you know and you know I just talk about how he tried to manipulate me and I mean it was just like why lord like again because I felt like and I talk about that in the book like I was like I was a good child I was good I had good grades I'm a decent human being I help us it's like why I get to not have (laughs) that you know what I mean and so even from a, a lot of it is from a Christian lens and so you know just even you know how I have to lean on God a lot you know because there's moments you know I have I had one yesterday honestly you know somebody did something I was all bent out of shape and it was like this is where you know Lord I wish I had a father to call right for some good sound advice but I don't so Jesus you know you got to step in you know and he always does for me you know but that's what the book talks about that's why I wrote the book to encourage because the more and more I talk to other women I realize okay they have daddy issues I have women telling me stuff like I can't trust a man I don't you know I can't date I I don't ever want to get married because of you know like legitimately they're afraid because of what their dad did we all need to go buy the book if you listen and go buy (laughs) yeah I mean it's really really you know and I'm not saying it because it's my book but I also just you know encourage you know and every like my mom I have to give her more credit because even as I wrote the book I didn't realize how dope she was but just again her perspective and telling me because she would never allow me to hate my dad as much as he was a piece of she wouldn't allow me to and it's because she grew up with her father so Mm -hmm. she knew what that was like you know to have a dad she grew up with my my grandfather and they have a great relationship had an awesome relationship and so for her it was like listen it's your dad You, you have to honor him I know he's horrible I know he's this but you can't hate him you know she would never allow me to disrespect him but she also would never force the relationship either it was always on my terms and so she gave me enough balance that it was like okay I don't have to deal with him okay cool you know but I can't disrespect him all right fine you know 
But, you know, so when I finally was able to ask him some things, I was just like, wow. And then I was able to see, like, he just, you know, you know, he was addicted to drugs, you know, and, you know, that just was his way of life. And when people were incarcerated that long, 18 years, he didn't know how to come out and, and be normal. He didn't know, you know, other than to scheme and, you know, whatever it was that you had to do to survive and in the penitentiary for 18 years, he was coming back home trying to apply that here. And it's just like, mm. what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And then you got to be careful because with him, he would talk about God. And I talk about that in a book. Imagine your father. I graduated from Bible college as well. So imagine your dad, right? A person that you're yearning this relationship with and you're trying to find pieces of identity out of. Imagine him keep telling you stuff like, do you still have a relationship with, you know, God? Are you still into church? And I'm like, Jesus, am I doing something wrong? Am I not Christian-like? Mm-hmm. You know, like, why is he keep asking? me this and finally when he gets out of jail we go out and eat and he starts telling me about this billion dollar idea how he wants me to go shake churches down you know for a christian magazine and i need you to go get this money from these pastors and i'm like oh so this is why you was asking me about my christianity it had nothing to do with you really worried about where i was spiritually you're trying to figure out how you can use me to manipulate people and get money out the church and i was just like jesus <laughs> you know, sometimes his rejection is his, you know, our protection. And um, I just look at, you know, again, my siblings and say, you know what, it was probably best that I didn't have this stellar relationship with my dad because he, he was just so toxic. So um, I think that your situation is a lot like a lot of other people's situations, mm-hmm. which makes you perfect to talk through some scenarios. So um, the first letter says, ladies, I have a problem with my husband and how he celebrates both Mother's Day and Father's Day. He was raised by his mother in a single parent home. He knows his father, but didn't meet him until he was a high school senior at one of his football games. My husband and I met in college. I recall him inviting his father to a few of his LSU football games, but he didn't come. After that, he stopped reaching out to him. My husband and I got married after he finished law school. I recall his dad at the wedding, but Steve, my husband, refused to talk to him. We've been married three years now. Every Mother's Day, he's given his mother jewelry. And on Father's Day, he gives his mother a gift that's used, that usually requires travel. This year, he gave her a trip to Jamaica. Last year, it was a secluded spa weekend trip. I think it's strange, but he says his mom had to be a mother and a father. So she deserves both. Ladies, is it just me or is this strange? I think my husband needs counseling. <laughs> Y'all want to tackle that one first? You want me to tackle it? Beyond, go ahead. Um, I don't think it's weird. Um, I do think he needs counseling. Um, but I think, you know, growing up, my mom would say that too. Like, you know, I'm your mom and I'm your dad. But again, she wouldn't take anything away from my dad. And so when you grow up like that, that's how, you know, at least, you know, a lot of kids that I know, that's how we felt or feel that, you know, our, mo- our mothers are our mothers and our fathers, especially when you're dealing with a student athlete, because now mama got to come to the game. Mom got to, you know, help you on your recruiting trip. Mama got to, you know, give you advice. Mama paying for football budgets. Mom, you know, it's like she's doing, you know, all of the things that you would normally see dads do um, in some of those instances. And so, you know, a person feels passionate about that and say, you know what, I'm going to, you know, allow you to do, you know, honor you on both Mother's and Father's Day. It's their choice. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, if that's what he chooses to do, I think that's, you know, fair. If he doesn't have a relationship with his father and he doesn't want to gift him, then again, he has that freedom of choice. But to me, it seems as if there's some, you know, still something there. If he's not talking to his dad or, you know, obviously there's some undertones there. So I would always say go to therapy 
and, you know, and allow them. But what I've learned, women, when you're dealing with men, you know, especially from a dating perspective, a lot of men have daddy issues. Okay. First and foremost, the other piece is that, and they don't want to address it. They don't want to acknowledge it. That's like a sore, sore area. And so you have to use wisdom when tackling that, you know? And so I always tell people at the end of the day, you know, like to start having those soft conversations. So maybe that he can eventually through questioning answer and figure out like, you know what? I have issues because sometimes again, like me, I didn't even realize I had a daddy issue because I thought I was okay. You know, he may be a situation where he doesn't, and even realize it's impacted him because he's been okay. He's been successful. He sounds successful. So life has been good to him. He still made it without his dad. So that's his badge of honor. But, you know, there still may be some areas for him to do. So I would just suggest, you know, her kind of just talking him through, you know, the whys and maybe help him, you know, come to his own um, realization that maybe he do have some issues that needs to be addressed. I would agree with you, Avian. I think that counseling is super important. Um, especially when you're in a relationship or a marriage, right? And I think that it's something that has to be ongoing because like you mentioned earlier, you know, when I went through counseling, I felt like there was a point that I had gotten to where I felt like I have resolved all of my daddy issues and I don't have to be concerned with this anymore. But that's not really the case. Like you kind of always continue to work through your daddy issues, even when you've formed a relationship with your estranged father. So that's something that... that your husband will constantly have to work on, constantly having to readdress the issue of his fatherlessness. So, you know, it is very important that you use wisdom, as Alvion said, but it's also really important that you understand that this is something that your husband will have to continually work through probably for the rest of his life. And it's important that you're supportive of that because unless you have lived in his shoes and been in a fatherless space, you never really will understand exactly what he's going through. But you can be there as a sounding board, as a support system, as a good, supportive, loving wife to help him through this. Yeah, I would agree with both of you. Um, I do think that it's his prerogative if he wants to buy his mother a uh, a Father's Day gift. He can buy his best friend a Father's Day gift if he want to spend his money and it's not cutting into your family budget. Now, I would see if you don't like the mama. Now, if you don't like her, I said it, then maybe that's maybe you can have an issue and say she only needs one gift. Acknowledge her on Mother's Day. Just playing. But if it's cutting into the family finances because he's buying these elaborate trips and things like that, then I would say, hey, can we talk about the budget for Father's Day? Let's talk about the budget for Mother's and Father's Day. Um, Because if you're not taking trips and y'all not taking family trips and his mama is doing secluded uh spa day weekends we have a problem okay but if if the money ain't funny and you're okay with him buying the gift it's just a concept of him buying the gift for father's day in general then yeah girl you let that slide like let him celebrate his mama but he does have daddy issues and he does need to be uh need to go to counseling now you can't force somebody to go to counseling right they have to be ready to go to counseling so i would encourage him to talk about his pain, I would encourage that those conversations between the two of you guys. And yeah, maybe that first step is both of you getting couples counseling. So it's not just all on him. But then once you are able to peel back those layers in couples counseling, then perhaps that would encourage him to get individual counseling um, as well. Yep. All right. Johnny, what's your scenario? <laughs> So this letter says, let me start by saying I'm a 29-year-old mom of two. 
I have an amazing husband and I am actively working through my daddy issues, but recent discoveries truly have thrown a monkey wrench into things. Growing up, the oldest of five, I knew my sibling's father was not my biological father and didn't make a big fuss because my stepdad loved me as his own. As a child, when I asked about my real dad, my mother told me that he had passed away, but she never really gave me much detail. Through the years, I had heard rumors about who my father was, so I decided to do some searching in hopes that I would find out who my father was. Not only did I find out who my father was, but I also discovered that he is still alive. When I turned 21, I decided to forge a relationship with my father. I didn't tell my mom or my stepfather because I didn't want to upset them. My biological father and I are now close I wouldn't necessarily say that we have a traditional father-daughter relationship, but we're pretty close. Recently, I worked up the nerve to ask my father why he had never reached out before when I was younger. He simply said, I got into some trouble with the law and had to do a bid. Me being curious, searched the records and found out that my father spent almost 20 years in prison for rape. While I was unable to find the name of the victim, based on the dates, the crime, and the timeline, it is likely that I'm a product of rape. I don't know how to handle this. It feels like a roller coaster that I just want to get off. One minute my father was dead, then he wasn't. Now, I wish he was. I want to believe that he's not the same person, but how do I trust a rapist? Was this all a misunderstanding? Why didn't my mother ever tell me about any of this? I know I brought this all on myself by digging up the past, but I want this nightmare to end. Ladies, please help. Wow. All right, Albion, I'm going to let you go first. (laughs) That is, that's hard. I don't, you know, I don't even think I have enough time right now to even wrap that one around my head, you know, because my, which, you know, what's weird is my dad, when he got out of jail, he actually started a prostitution ring with my brother. And he, part of the reason why he went back to jail was because, you know, one of the women, you know, crank, you know, rape. And so, so the biggest thing that I can say is that she has to forgive, you know, because if not, it's like one of those things where you're taking and poisoning yourself. You know, it ends up making you so bitter, so angry. You're trying to figure out why somebody else did something that had absolutely nothing to do with you. And the biggest thing I would just say is for her to like start, you know, taking her identity and separating it from my father because it just it just opens up these Pandora boxes in terms of like, you know, is that a part of me or like why or, you know, and so we start kind of like blaming ourselves or somebody else or our mother. And so the biggest thing is, is she has to forgive him. And, you know, that may be hard. It may even take some time. And I'm not sure if she'll ever want to see him or build a relationship with him. And in my opinion, that's okay. You know, I always tell people at the end of the day, you can love somebody from a distance. If, you know, if it takes her 10 years, it may take her 10 years to get to a point to even want to look at Adam. Take your time and do whatever is best to protect your peace and your ability and your sanity and your identity. And so, because that's hard. She definitely needs to go, you know, seek out counseling and kind of sift through all of the nuances of how she feels and why she feels and what she feels and really get down to the, the root of that. And once you figure out that, I feel like that's your starting point, you know, for healing. Because again, like I'm just at a place with my dad, like I just forgave him so much. It's not much he can do to fluster me anymore. So when he went back to jail, it was almost like it was a little pinch versus a dagger 
because my level of expectation, I just don't have, like, when you have expectations of what a dad should look like or what he should do, it you'll get disappointed every time. That's the only thing I can say is for her to find, like, the identity and power, like, outside of that and allow him to, you know, the choice of being whoever he is, whether that's a piece of crap or not, whether that's a horrible, horrible human being or not, that's his choice. And you just got to love and forgive and, you know, find your way of getting to that, that place, however long that takes. So, I just feel like she needs to go to family counseling. You know, I would, I was, as a child, I would be angry with the father because you were absent. And the reason you're absent is because you violated my mother. But I also feel for the mother. You know, the mother lied to protect the child. And it must have been hard for her to lie. It must have been hard for her to even look at the child, to even look at her as a constant reminder every day that she was raped. So I I would definitely think that the first thing I would do if I were this listener would be to give my mom the biggest hug ever, right? Because she did the best that she could. She tried to protect me and she still raised me and loved me despite the fact that I wasn't created in love. So I would definitely talk to your mother and I would get counseling with my mother. I mean, that would be the first thing I would do. Um, I would get counseling with my mother just to make sure and see what she's going through so that she and I can heal together. Um, And then I would definitely encourage the listener to get individual counseling because that's a lot to process, right? To break down, you know, the fact that even the concept of you being conceived as a result of rape is a lot. Like, how do you feel? How are you healing as an individual? Um, And then, yeah, I I would want some answers. I I would. I mean, I think that it's only natural to want a, a why and to want to see like, is this person even remediated? Are they a better person now? I would want Want those answers. But I think that in order to not come from a just extremely angry place, I would think that this listener needs to get counseling by themselves, um, get counseling with her mother, and then pull the dad in um, into counseling as well. First, I would say I want this listener to forgive herself because she said in the letter, I know that I brought this on myself by digging up the past. And that's not the case. You did not bring this on yourself. We're all curious about where we came from. We're all curious about who our parents were before we were conceived. We're all curious about our past and what led to us being who we are today. That's fair. That's your right. You had the right to look up the information about your dad. It's not your fault that he did this. It's not your fault, just like it's not your mom's fault. This is, you know, it's kind of a zero-sum game, right? Because... No one really wins in this situation, but the only way that you can get past this is by forgiving yourself. You cannot live with guilt that is not yours to carry. Don't beat yourself up about who you are and how you got here. But I agree with what Nicole and Alvion said, because this is a lot. This is a lot to wrap your mind around and a lot to grapple with. I mean, each of these circumstances individually is a lot in and of itself. The fact that you thought that your father was dead, the fact that you learned that your mother lied to you, the fact that you were hearing rumors about your father, the fact that you reconnected with your father, and the fact that you've now found out that this man that you've reconnected with and formed a relationship is not the man that you thought he was. Those are all very intense things to deal with individually and collectively that's just a it seems like mount everest to me 
again, I say counseling is important and counseling will probably have to be ongoing because this is not something that, you know, is a one and done kind of situation. This is something that may continue to present itself in your life. So, you know, work through it, give yourself some grace, but also, you know, actively work on the issues that you have with your father. And also remember, like Alvion said, you're not obligated to have a relationship with your father. If this relationship is not serving you, I use the term serving lightly, but if this relationship is not beneficial to you or you find it triggering or harmful, it's perfectly okay to say, I can't have a relationship with you any longer so that you can get to the point where you can heal and you can move on And this doesn't consume your life and this does not become your identity. It's just a part of your identity. And remember, you have beautiful children and an awesome, amazing husband. So focus on that. Focus on the positive relationships in your life and don't allow this negative relationship with your father to affect those relationships. Oh, that's deep. That that is hard. And here's the piece, you know, and again, some people may come for me on this one. The Bible says to honor. You say nothing about love, you know. And so it's one of those things where you may not ever feel love or you may feel it. Because I've seen some kids like my my siblings on my dad's side. My dad was so dysfunctional. It used to mess me up how much they still loved him because they would experience way more than I did. And I would just be sitting there like, oof, you know. And so sometimes you may still love or there even may be a yearning there. She may feel like something's wrong with her because like who loves the person that raped somebody right you know what I mean then it's my mother on top of that so it's so many psychological you know um, mazes that she even have to go through in terms of you know like how she sees this and I talk about that in my book like perception how do you see it right and so that's the biggest thing is like how does she perceive all of this stuff and that's why for me personally I always recommend counseling as an individual first because if you can't tackle yourself you sure can't tackle what else you know, something somebody else has going on or how that even because you can't even address it if I don't even know, like what you're doing that's triggering me. I got to go figure this me out first. Then we can come in Kumbaya and then we can figure out, like, how do we do this together? But ah, that's a tough one. That's, that's one of those, you know, books all in this stuff. I would love to hear her journey and just love to see how she overcomes that. Oh, that's deep. All right. So, Janine, what you learn new this week, girl? Okay, so I learned, according to the National Center for Fathering, that 20 million children in the U.S. are living in a fatherless home. And 90% of homeless children come from fatherless homes. And fatherless children are nine times more likely to drop out of school. It's sad, but those are unfortunately the statistics in the U.S., Well, what I learned new was that the majority of black fathers actually do live with their children. That's 2.5 million versus 1.7 million who don't. Uh, Furthermore, whether they're living in the same home or not, black fathers are the most involved of all the primary recorded race and ethnic groups. So I know we've been talking about a lot of fathers, but overall, that's according to the Chicago Tribune. Fathers, black fathers are present. And I think that the fatherlessness is across all races and ethnicities. But our black fathers, we we have to applaud them when they do something right. So this is an applaud to our, our black fathers. For me, what I learned this week is that you have to protect your peace and be okay with saying no. I like that. 
So tell the listeners how they can follow you, how they can find you, how they can buy the book. Okay. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Alvian Brule. That's A-L-V-I-A-N-N-E-B-R-U-L-E. Or visit my website, alvianbrule.com. And um, you can buy the book on Amazon. Awesome. And we will all be going to buy the book on Amazon. Let me tell you, if you have fatherless issues, you need to go buy the book. Because yes. she's dropped she's dropped some some pearls today. And and we all need to heal. So we'll buy the book. I need to give some people the book. Yes, please <laughs> do. Um, yes, please, please do. And also, if they want to, I've been, if you go on my website, you can actually get the book for free and um, and I'll ship it if you pay the shipping cost. So go to albionbrule.com and fill out that form and I'll send you the book for free if you're willing to pay the shipping. All right. So now y'all ready for the motivational moment? Yes. 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 So it says, um, we all have a father and that's the most high. So know that you were born a queen and that you are surrounded by love every day until we meet again pray work slay and show off your melanated excellence bye oh that's deep black women conversations is produced by nicole lee plenty and janine brunson johnson executive producer ken johnson get the oh that's deep black women conversation podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher Google Podcast or where you get your podcast. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh That's Deep BWC. Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations is a mean old lion media production.